Heavenly Father, just thank you and praise you, Lord, that we all got here safe and sound today and for everything you've done for us this week. And, Lord, we just ask now that you help us just to focus on you, and thanks for wanting to spend this time with us, too, as we praise and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. that I face stronger than the power of the grave constant in the trial and the change this one thing remains i 
say hi to somebody. My name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. May 7th, after the 11 a.m. service, join us for a chicken noodle dinner. Proceeds help pay for the women's retreat. $6 for adults and $3 for kids under 10. Thanks. Encounter Retreat Meeting After Services next Sunday. Parents of youth who are going to encounter or want information should attend. See you there. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. Good morning. How's everyone? Welcome to winter part three, right? Last week I had my Hawaiian shirt on and I thought that was, that we were good. So we're not, right? Um, 
Won't you remember in prayer some different people? Beth Warner, a girl in our church, uh, has, has liver cancer. So she's going through stuff. So keep her in prayer. Uh, Shane, get me, anyway, a guy's son has, has, uh, needs prayer. And uh, Beth, who comes to first service and helps do the, the coffee, her brother has a brain tumor or something like that. So we'll keep people in prayer. Anybody have a prayer request that we can just pray for? Yeah. Okay. Emily? Okay. Anyone else have a prayer request? Yeah, you can have whatever you like. I go to the Encounter Church over Okay. And my pastor is in the Encounter Church. Okay. 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 Oh, wow. And he is Okay. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to pray and forget all those names, but God heard it, okay, because I know I'll mess it up. So let's just pray prayer, and I'll pray for the offering too. So, Lord, uh, you know what's going on in all these people's lives. Lord, we ask you to come and just touch them and, and heal them. Lord, uh, pr- I pray for the pastor that needs a kidney that you just uh, provide one for him, and, and I just uh, pray that you'd be with people who are going through uh, sadness right now because of loss. God, we know that you're good, and we can trust you with everything. So, Lord, we just ask you to, to do these things. And also, Lord, we ask you just to bless the offering as we receive it. And it's a privilege to give to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. How we doing? Two things. Number one, this thing. They're hard to open, so if you want to start now, you're welcome to. Because we will not wait for you when it's time to take communion. My mom has special instructions. You just bend the thing, and it'll snap, and then it's easier to peel, she says. There were people who disagreed with this technique in the first service. But there you go. And secondly, uh, we're having, if, if your kid's going to go to youth, uh, to the camp this, this year, we're going to have a meeting right after this service in the
cafe for some information that we need to pass and all that kind of stuff. Good? You guys doing all right? All right. So we are in a series called um, 50 Days or something. I don't even know what we're calling it. But uh, mainly we're just kind of reviewing or looking at the stories of Jesus appearing to his disciples after the resurrection all up into the day of Pentecost, which uh, we'll get to in a couple of weeks. And so last week we looked at the story of Jesus uh, meeting the disciples on the road to Emmaus and him sharing uh, with them. And today we're going to look at a story where the disciples are hanging out uh, in the up, probably in the upper room where they had the, the Last Supper, and uh, Jesus has been uh, crucified, and so they're kind of hiding out, and, and Jesus appears to them in that room. And so, good? You guys don't care anyway, do you? You're just like, whatever, Mark, just talk so we can go eat. So let's take a few moments simply to kind of center down and, and be quiet and, and open our hearts to God, and then uh, we'll get going. Good? So, Father, we thank you for this morning, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and open our hearts to you. We uh, carry a lot of stuff into this room, a lot of pain and anxiety and worries, and so we just lay it all before you. And so we ask that you just be with us, we ask that you bless us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. John chapter 20, verse 19, I'm going to kind of go a little verse by verse and then just comment on it as we go. And so it says this. On the evening of the first day of the week, and so this is the day that Jesus was resurrected. It's been a Friday. He was um, arrested, tried, crucified. No news on Saturday because it was the Sabbath, and it's Sunday morning. And the women go to the tomb to essentially take care of his body. And when they get there, he's not there. And they go back and they tell the disciples, hey, he's not there. We at, in fact, we saw this angel. And the disciples are a little weirded out about it. Like you would be, right? Like, cause that's weird. And so James, or not James, but John and Peter, they run to the tomb to see if this is really true. John reminds us that he won the race because that's just how he is. And so he throws that little, little, fact in there for us but they get there and he's not there and they're terribly confused by this and so they're back they go back to wherever they're staying probably the 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 upper room where they had had the this last supper and they're hiding out and it says that 
that the disciples were together with the doors, what's it say? Locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And so you have these guys and they're hanging out in this room and they're, they've locked the door because of fear. They're, they're hiding out because they're afraid like, it might happen to them. There's any moment, maybe the Roman soldiers will come in or the Jewish leaders will come in and they will arrest them and take them and try them and kill them. But here's the thing about fear. Fear has a way of locking us up, doesn't it? Yeah? It has a way of locking us up. As a pastor, there's lots of things that we get to do that I hate doing. I don't know if dad likes it. I hate it. You're just a normal night at your house watching TV and you get a phone call and someone has been in a car accident or someone is sick or something crazy. Someone's had a heart attack or whatever it may be. And, uh, and you have to go because part of the job is, is, is setting with people in their suffering. And I hate it. Personally, it takes a, it takes a toll on me. I don't know if it takes a toll on dad, but it takes a toll on me. And, um, and, and I, and I've come to realize the thing, the reason why I hate it is because it's scary. It's, there's a fear that's involved. There's the reality of that I don't have any answers. There's the reality that I can't fix this for anybody. There's the reality that I, there, it's most oftentimes people that I love personally. And it's heartbreaking. And I don't know about you, but for me, I just want to withdraw. Like I remember when, when my cousin was dying, I didn't want to go see. I just didn't want to go. I just wanted to like sit in my, like on my bed and not do anything and just pretend that nothing was happening. Any ever find yourself like in that place where you just, I'm just going to pretend that this isn't real. I imagine that this is what's going on for these disciples. They're just in the room. The door locked. Their life has been flipped upside down. Their best friend has been killed. And I imagine that there's the real reality of the fear that this could happen to them, that they could be arrested and they could be murdered as well. But there's also just the, the, the grief of it all. That their best friend has died. And he might be back, but we don't know, and that's crazy because people don't come back from the dead. That's a weird kind of a thing. And they're kind of just stuck, locked up in their fear. What's interesting about this story is what happens next. It says that with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and did what? He stood among them. And so in the midst of our fear, in the midst of their fear and their hiding and the brokenness of the whole situation, Jesus comes and stands among them. See, here's the thing. Jesus stands with us in our fear. And there's something about having people stand with you when you don't have an answer. There's something about having people stand next to you when you, like when you're afraid. This past week, we, me and my wife and my daughter were driving somewhere, and we were talking about old movies, old movies that we love and, and movies that An- Annabelle hasn't seen. 
And one of my favorite movies is the movie Rudy. Have you guys seen this movie? If you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you right now. But it's your own fault because it's probably at this point 25, 30 years old, right? So the story of Rudy is a story about a young man named Rudy Rudiger who was a football, high school football player that wasn't very good. But his dad loved Notre Dame football, and he he loved his dad, and they always watched Notre Dame football every Saturday. And he decided that he was going to go to Notre Dame and he was going to play on the football team. But there was only one problem. He sucked at football. So he goes, and he tries out for the team, and they're like, not a chance, you're not playing. And he can't even get into Notre Dame, and so he kind of goes to this sort of like community college that's in South Bend. But he volunteers to work for the football team. And so he's painting the field and painting the helmets and doing the laundry. And he somehow figures out how to get onto the practice squad. Because in college football, you have like the real team that's good. And then you have a bunch of bums who just get beat up all week long. And they're on the practice squad. And they're not technically on the team. Good so far? So Rudy practices on this practice team for a couple of years. And he makes an impression on his coaches. And he finally gets to a point where the head coach his junior year says to him, here's the deal, on the last home game of your senior year, I'm going to allow you to start so that you can be on the Notre Dame football team. And he's super happy about this and proud of himself. And he goes home to tell his dad. And his dad and his brother think that he's like crazy. I don't know, Rudy, you're probably making this up. But he's like, no, you'll see. And he's getting ready to start his senior year. And Notre Dame changed the head coach goes to another school, and he has this new head coach who's not going to honor the promise that the old coach had made. And so he stays on the practice squad, and he practices, and he does all these things. He's getting ready to quit, but he chooses not to. And the week of the final home game where it's time for Rudy to dress and be part of Notre Dame football, the head coach says, I'm sorry, I can only have so many players on the active roster, and unfortunately, you're not going to make the cut. The story goes that the seniors of that football team, one by one, went into the office with their jersey and laid their jersey on the head coach's desk and said, hey, Rudy can have my spot. Rudy can have my spot. Rudy can have my spot. What's going on here? They're standing with Rudy. Does that make sense? Something happens when people stand with us. It's one thing to carry the fear of your your life by yourself. But when you have other people who can come alongside you and stand with you in that, it changes the way that you approach the circumstances, the brokenness, the fear of your life. Does that make sense? And so though we may stand in the room locked away because of the fear of the world, Jesus stands with us. Which leads to next thought. It says that Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw The Lord. And so they're standing there in fear, locked away from the world. And Jesus comes and stands among them. And he says to them, peace be with you. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard Jesus say something like this, now is it? In Matthew, there's a story about Jesus being on a boat. 
They're on the boat and they're sailing across the lake and a huge storm comes up. You guys remember this bedtime story? Huge storm comes up. And, uh, and his disciples who have been fishermen their entire lives, who've been on this lake all of their lives, it says that they're afraid. Now, dad makes an interesting point here when he tells this story. He says, if the sailors on the boat are afraid, then you probably should be afraid as well, right? Like if you're flying on a plane and you start to see the, the stewardess get set down and put on the seatbelt, it's probably time for you to put on the seatbelt as well. Yeah? And so they're on the boat, and it's a terrible storm, and they're scared out of their mind. But what's Jesus doing? You guys remember? He's down in the middle of the boat sleeping. And so they're freaked out, and they go to wake him up. They're like, hey, man, what are you doing? We're getting ready to die here. And don't you care? And he's like, well, you know, he wakes up. And what does he do? He comes out. He comes to the boat. And what does he say? You guys remember? He says, peace, be still to the storm. Yeah? See, here's the thing when it comes to our spiritual lives. You can... Allow the storms of your circumstances to affect your inner peace. But you can also allow your inner peace to affect the storms of your circumstances. Yeah? And so in this moment, the disciples are in a storm. In this moment, in this room, their world has been flipped upside down. But Jesus stands with them. He speaks peace into that place. And so we have to come to a place in our daily walks with God to allow the peace of God, the peace of heaven to reside inside of us. Because if we don't, then we're going to allow the storm of this world to affect us. And so it's learning to open ourselves up to that peace so that we can be agents of peace, people who bring peace to the world around us. Good? You guys need a commercial yet? Okay. Like almost done. Doing fast sermons. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he continues. He says again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And that as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so Jesus stands with us in our fear. He speaks peace into our life, but then he also sends us in the same way that the Father sent him, which raises the question, why did God send Jesus in the first place? Now, this is a question that theologians and people who think about these types of things have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Why would God send his son? My opinion is this. The reason why God sent Jesus into the world is to, to show us what he is like. That's what I think. I think that if we had to guess on what God was like, we would probably get it wrong. And so instead of us trying to figure it out from this vantage point, God sent his son to show us what he is like. So we don't have to guess. Yeah? And so in the same way, 
that God sends Jesus to show us what he is like. Jesus sends us to do what? To show the world what he is like. Does that make sense? And so God empowers us, Jesus empowers us to go and to share with the world what he is like, which raises a question. Do we do good at this? <laughs> right? Because unfortunately, Christians have a really bad reputation because we're stupid. I guess. I don't know what's wrong with us. I know that I am. But we're just too, I don't know, we just get it wrong. Does this make sense? I talk to lots of people outside. I hang out mostly with people who aren't Christians. And a lot of people's understanding of Christianity is very messed up because of us and our reputation and the things that we're against versus the things that we're for. And I think that a lot of it has to do with fear and brokenness and those types of things. I have recently met <laughs> recently met this new kid, and he's a crazy person. And I've been trying to figure him out. And so when I ever meet, I don't know if you guys do this, this is what I do. Whenever I meet crazy, crazy people, I, I, I do a little investigation into their lives. Mainly Facebook stalking. You guys, you guys do this? Am I the only psycho in here? So I'll go to their page and I'll look at their pictures and I'll read their information, trying to figure out, okay, what's up with this guy? Because he's super weird. And, and I don't want anybody to take offense to this because I'm going to talk about a couple of things here. But I noticed that one of the things with him was that he was homeschooled. Some of you know. Some of you know. And I immediately was like, oh, red flag right there. There's the problem. He's got crazy Christian parents. That's why he's nuts. Now, if you homeschool your kids, I get it. I get it. But I was homeschooled for a part, part of my life. And it's, it's, I think it's done with good intentions. But at the same time, it can also trip your kids up a little bit. All right? There's a whole side of Christianity. Why why do I tell that story? There's a whole part of Christianity, those of us who claim to follow Jesus, that are absolutely terrified of the world. Terrified that it's going to influence our children and throw them off. Scared that we're going to be corrupted and all of those types of things. Very much in the same way that the Jewish religious group of Jesus' day set up these boundaries and borders where, okay, if you're a leper, then you're not allowed to be around us. Or if you're a prostitute, you're not allowed to be around. Like, if you sin in any way, you got to stay away because we got to keep ourselves safe. And very much there are cultures within Christianity that do the exact same thing. But Jesus sent us sends us to share with the world what God is like. And my observation of Jesus is that he doesn't keep people away, but he mingles right in amongst them. And that somehow through his presence, they are transformed. Does this make sense? And so instead of condemning and judging and blaming the dark for being dark, 
perhaps we could ask the question, well, how can I make my light a little bit brighter for the world? Yeah? And so Jesus sends his disciples in the same way that the Father sent him, I believe, to show the rest of the world what God's love is like. And how does he do this? Well, he says that in the kingdom of God, the greatest is what? The best? Like, here's here, Jesus' plan was, I know what we should do. Let's vote a bunch of Christians into office so that they can write policies so that we can rule over everyone else who doesn't agree with us. That's the way we'll do this, right? Is that what Jesus says? No. Jesus says, no, the greatest of these will be the least, like servants, just working grassroots through the culture, loving and serving the people around us, and that somehow that's the way this fire will spread. Not from the top down, forcing our beliefs on other people, but persuading them through grace, persuading them through love and service. And so Jesus sends us in this same sacrificial way. Because Jesus didn't come riding in on a war horse. He come in riding on a donkey, right? And the throne of heaven is what? Well, the throne of heaven is a cross. And the king that sits on it in the book of Revelation is a lamb that has been slain. And so the whole thing is upside down to the way that we think about how change the world. Does this make sense? And so Jesus sends us like the Father sent him to love and to serve the world, which leads us to kind of the end of this passage. It says that with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this is a weird part of the passage. Anybody think this is weird? Only me? Okay, whatever. I've been messing, I've been wrestling with this verse for a whole two weeks, and you guys are like, ah, no big deal, Mark. Like, what is this even supposed to mean? Do we have the power to forgive people's sins? And if they, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't like you, so I'm not going to forgive you. And guess what? Sorry. Like, is that what Jesus is saying here? Is that the power he's giving us? Eh, I don't know. Now, one way to think about it, or one way that helps me understand what this is about is another passage from 2 Corinthians. Now, the 2 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul. And at this point, the Apostle Paul has devoted his entire life to sharing this good news message with the world. And so this is what Paul says about this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here, and that all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, what's it say? The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. 
not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's, what's it say? Ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so you and I, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Which leads us back to what Jesus says. If you forgive, then they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive, they will not be forgiven. Here's the thing. As ambassadors of, with this ministry of reconciliation, we are called to go and to share this good news of Jesus. But if we don't share this good news of, of forgiveness, that so you can be set free from guilt, shame, fear, all of those things that bog us down. If you haven't been told that you've been set free, how could you ever be set free? Does that make sense? And so we are called to to forgive and to bring this forgiveness so that they can experience this forgiveness. And if we don't bring that, well, then they're never going to experience it either. Yeah? So therefore, we are ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. Now, for a second, let me pause the sermon just because i got to tell you a funny story. A couple years ago, Dad and Pat and Mom were in Ethiopia, and uh, they're in the airport, and there's this huge line. And they're waiting in this line, and they don't want, you know, who wants to wait in the line? And as they're waiting in this line, uh, an official of the Ethiopian government comes out into the airport and makes an announcement. He says, are there any ambassadors here? Dad has this moment where he remembers this verse. And he's like, actually, we're ambassadors. <laughs> Mom's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so they got out of the regular general line, and they got into the ambassador line with all the other dignitaries from actual real countries. <laughs> and Dad's like, no, we represent the kingdom of heaven, you know, or whatever. Which is, it has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just ridiculous. Another Chuck moment. I have thousands of them. Yeah, they did. All right, so, unpause. Boom. You and I, we've been given Jesus' spirit and ministry. Jesus shares with us his spirit and ministry. Of reconciliation. Yeah? And, and so when we find ourselves locked away because of fear, we can trust that Jesus stands with us. When we find ourselves with a storm inside, distracted and overwhelmed with the things that are going on in our lives, we can trust that Jesus says, peace be with us. When it comes to living in this world and and the people around us, we are called to go and represent Jesus to others in our lives. And that we don't do it alone, but we have been empowered by Jesus' spirit and share in his ministry of reconciliation. Sharing with this world that God loves them and that we don't have to live afraid. Yeah? And so, in some sort of mysterious way, We stand in the room 
with these guys. Go to the, the picture. In some sort of mystical way, Jesus speaking to them is Jesus speaking to us. And that we don't have to be locked away, afraid of the things going on in this world. But we are called to be a light, to shine in this darkness. Yeah? Good? You guys good? What time is it? All right. We're done. Two questions. What's God saying to you? And what's one thing that you can do about it this week? So we're going to take a few moments simply to reflect on that. And then we're going to share communion together. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you speak to our hearts in these next few moments. All right, amen. You have one of these, grab it, take it out. Hopefully you got a head start. Every week for us, we take part in this, this meal to be reminded who Jesus said is and, and who he calls us to be. And for us, um, we practice what's called an open table, which means we don't believe that Jesus would deny anybody to his table. Um, at Jesus' last supper, you had one there who betrayed him. You had a, another one who denied him. And all the, the rest of the knuckleheads, they all deserted him. And yet they were all welcome at his table. So for us, if you're willing to take part, you're welcome to take part. And every week we, uh, we pray this prayer as a way of centering our hearts and minds, because if you're like me, you get off track. And so, pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
So glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And after giving thanks, he, he, he gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world. But we're also reminded that as the body of Christ, we are called to take part, to be broken and poured out for the people in our lives. And so take the bread and look to the person next to you and say, the body of Christ was broken for you. Now the cup, the blood of Christ that's shed for you. Right? Amen. So I'll stand and grab hands with the person next to you if you like. If you have a a student who's going to camp this this year, we'll be having a meeting uh, immediately after the service here in the, in the cafe. And other than that, let's go get some food. So let's pray and we'll get out of here. So Father, we thank you for this Jesus who stands among us in our brokenness and in our fear. We thank you that he speaks peace into our lives and empowers us to go and to share your good news. And so we ask that you just be with us this week as we try to fulfill that, as we try to to live this out. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you just guide us and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. amen. See you guys.